Hello and welcome to our worship for Sunday the 5th of September 2021. A happy Methodist New Year to you all. Let's gather in worship. Today in this service may we bring to God not only the words of our lips but the praise in our hearts. May we bring our honesty and bravery, our anxiety and fears, all that we carry in our hearts. May we meet with Jesus who accepts us, flaws and all, with forgiveness and grace. Open our eyes, Lord, our ears and our hearts. May we be quick to see where you are at work, quick to listen for your word, quick to offer love and hope, and slow to judge. Amen. And so we sing as we are able from singing the faith number 58 lord i come before your throne of grace
me comfort those who suffer with the comfort you have given. And I will tell of your great love for as long as I live. Let us join in our prayers of adoration and of thanksgiving. Lord All-Sovereign, you are the God who places life into the earth and places life into all your creation. You are the God who gives us life and yearns that that life will be eternal, not just everlasting, but of quality, wonderful and fruitful. Lord, we honour you and worship you as the one who has authority over all the earth. But we worship you as the one who has not only authority, but also patience. You show that patience in love and in grace towards your people. And so we gather and worship you, for you are far beyond our imagining our understanding and yet we have begun to see something of the truth about you we rejoice that you did not leave us bereft but that you sent women and men in each and every generation who were faithful to you and who sought to share their insight of you with others we rejoice most of all that you sent your Son, Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, as the perfect example and expression of your love, so much so that he was willing to give himself completely for us. And so we worship and give you thanks. We pray that as we have gathered together, we will see in one another and hear in word and deed something more of your love and concern, your grace and your mercy. So be with us, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And so we gather in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to hear our two scripture readings now. Firstly, a passage from Deuteronomy where Moses is explaining to the people the importance of being obedient to God's law as it has been given. And, and then a passage, a paraphrase of Mark's Gospel of some verses in Mark's Gospel, where in a sense Jesus seems to challenge that very call to obedience, but in the specific area of the ritual cleansing of hands before a meal. The Old Testament reading is taken from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 1 to 9. Moses commands obedience. So now Israel, give heed to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you to observe, so that you may live to enter and occupy the land that the Lord the God of your ancestors is giving you. You must neither add anything to what I command you, nor take away anything from it, but keep the commandments of the Lord your God with which I am charging you. You have seen for yourselves what the Lord did with regard to Baal of Peor, how the Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor, with those of you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, just as the Lord my God has charged me, I now teach you the statutes and ordinances for you to observe in the land that you are about to enter and occupy. You must observe them diligently, for this will show your wisdom and discernment to the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. For what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other great nation has statutes and ordinances as just as this entire law that I am setting before you today? But take care and watch yourselves closely, so as neither to forget the things that your eyes have seen, nor let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading is taken from Mark. Mark chapter 7 verses 1 to 8, 14 to 15 and 21 to 23. A group of people called Pharisees and some scribes from Jerusalem were eating in the same place as Jesus one day. They noticed that Jesus and his disciples washed their hands in a different way from the way they were used to. And they did not think this was a very good idea, as they were sure that theirs was the only right way to wash hands. So they asked Jesus, why are your disciples not washing their hands in a right and proper way? Why do you let them eat with dirty hands? Jesus answered, there is nothing wrong with the way we wash our hands. You are following your own rules, not rules that God has given. Then he said, although you say you follow God more closely than anyone, your hearts are far from him because you are more concerned 
with your own ways of doing things. He turned around to all the people who were eating there and said, What you eat or how you wash your hands can't make you a bad person, but it is the bad force in your own hearts that can make you bad. Thanks be to God for his word. Amen. And now we sing again a hymn that is a great Charles Wesley hymn, although perhaps it is less familiar than it once was. Uh, hymn, Happy Are They Who Find the Grace.
The psalmist in Psalm 51 and verse 10 has these words for us. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Create in me a pure heart, O God. That paraphrase of the Gospel reading is a passage where Jesus yet again appears to be at odds with the religious leaders around him. He's asked why he doesn't object to his disciples' apparent disregard for ritual purity law. They fail to wash their hands in the correct way before coming to the table. It's not totally clear from the passage whether Jesus himself has observed this ritual or not. There is no dispute that the disciples should have cleansed their hands. It, indeed, it seems that they had washed them, just not in the ritually acceptable way. Many of the Pharisaic regulations regarding purity and hygiene were wise and sensible. Not all. They directed, among other things, personal hygiene and sexual purity. Indeed, the passage from Deuteronomy says that the regulations were necessary to ensure that the people of Israel live a healthy and prosperous life. Furthermore, their observance was intended to be a witness to other peoples that following these regulations was beneficial, that it was common sense. The onlookers were meant to think, as it were, if these Israelites are prospering, what, it is, what is it that they are doing that is so beneficial? And should we consider doing it too? So that the laws of Deuteronomy were not intended to constrain and direct as much as to educate, to inform, and as I say, to be a witness, like, like all the best guidance. We've all been reminded, haven't we, of the need for good hygiene over the last 18 months or so. Most of us have probably had very little to do with hand sanitizer before Covid appeared. But I'm sure that we can all remember either uh, as children ourselves or perhaps with our own children that we were constantly reminded of the need to wash our hands before sitting at the dinner table. And you may well be able to remember the cold chill in your spine when they first started answering back that their hands weren't really very dirty. It wasn't that they were being deliberately rebellious or, or sinful. It was that they simply couldn't see the urgency 
or the need. It was perhaps a little like this with Jesus' disciples. Knowing that their hands had been washed, they felt no need for ritual cleansing, though it might have been considered good manners. But the Pharisees were looking to make more of this. The implicit suggestion was that if they were capable of ignoring these rules, then what further disobedience of God's law would ensure? Surely they must therefore be sinful to the core. But Jesus rejects this argument and he makes a distinction between the laws passed down to Moses, principally the Ten Commandments, which the passage that we heard precedes in Deuteronomy's rendering of them, and the law as interpreted and developed and layered by the Pharisees, essentially much of the rest of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. For Jesus, the question of purity falls into two camps. On the one hand, there was ritual purity enforced by these regulations about things like temple practice, diet, bodily emissions, the right clothing and how to handle dead bodies and so on. But on the other hand, for Jesus, there was purity of heart. What is it that lies behind, that motivates our human actions? And this differentiation gives the suggestion that Jesus is interpreting according to the... In suggesting that ritual washing is not essential, Jesus is taking account of the general state of cleanliness that now pertains in society, rather than clinging on to something that made perfect sense and was very wise when the people of Israel were still semi-nomadic and only in the first stages of settling the land. Jesus accuses those who would be pernickety about gathered ritual of being hypocrites. For in being so demanding about ritual, they are failing to look at the purity of heart and the demonstration of God's love. Which is more important, healthily eating food to sustain us or having washed hands in a particular way? Now, of course, we have to be careful about stretching interpretation too far. Particularly in these days of COVID, hospital superbugs and such like, it is essential that we are careful about personal hygiene. And it is a good witness when we are seen to be. But the point is that God's offer of these instructions never was solely about seeking blind obedience. 
but rather it was an expression of his love and concern for his people, obedience to which results in human flourishing into all that he intended from the beginning of creation. So we choose to obey restrictions and hygiene directions. We continue to wash or to sanitize our hands. We continue to wear masks. We continue to restrict the availability and openness within the gathering congregations of our churches as much as a witness of the seriousness with which we take COVID as much as a witness for the benefit of others as protecting the risk to ourselves. <clears throat> Back in 1983, I worked as a steward at Spring Harvest, the Christian festival held in those days at Prestatin. At the end of the week, in the final act of worship, before sending everyone out to go home, there was a plea from the stage that we travel carefully and within the rules of the road, especially if our cars were displaying spring harvest car stickers or any other Christian symbols. It is not, of course, God's law that cars may only travel at 70 mile an hour on a motorway. And if we're honest, probably most of us have exceeded that speed on more than one occasion. But that does not give us license to ignore the speed limit. And if we do, and if we're prosecuted, it would not be a good witness nor much defence if we claim that we are not interested in man's law, but only in God's law. Rather, the suggestion was made in order that we were seen to demonstrate proper respect and consideration for other road users and thereby to witness to God's love for all mankind. Jesus had come not simply to overcome the forces of disease and nature of external factors that threaten people. He had come to address the deep problems of the human heart that cannot be dealt with by force or the kind of regulations that control, for instance, our meal times. And, and here he opens up the possibility that it is necessary to interpret scripture. Of course, that can lead us into all sorts of disagreements. One side might say that what the Bible teaches about a certain topic is timeless and consists of specific commands. The other side might argue that the same topic is merely guidance which has to be considered within the context in which it was originally given and the relationship of that context to our own. The questions we need to be asking are how does this or that passage and the overall tenor of scripture 
illuminate our understanding of the nature of God and of his relationship with his creation. And how does that knowledge affect how we will treat others? The Methodist Conference at the end of June, as I'm sure you know, took a series of momentous decisions regarding human relating and flourishing, including what for some are controversial decisions about how the church relates to those in cohabiting relationships and about the possibility of permitting where a local church wishes to and accepts the possibility that the marriage of same-sex couples could be performed within our churches. In the conversations ahead of these decisions and indeed in the debate about coming to those conclusions, strong responses were evoked. People within our churches and probably within each congregation sincerely hold contradictory views on these matters. And we will need to continue to live and love each other in the midst of those contradictions. Mark in his gospel often refers to Jesus as a teacher, yet records little formal training, train, uh, formal teaching. We have a record of his relationship with his disciples as he leads them to abandon the familiar security and follow him on the way of the cross. He invite, his call invites them to engage in an adventure of faith where they will discern for themselves the true ways of God that is the journey that each of us is called to. As a church organisation, as a congregation, as part of the wider Methodist Church in circuit, district and connection, we've been revising and refreshing our mission plans. And now we are being encouraged to translate that as conditions permit into action plans. What will we do to make those aspirations happen? I had the sad duty a couple of weeks ago now of reading the request of one of our churches in the district, not in the Wivell circuit to cease to meet, that is effectively to close as a church. I say sad duty because I firmly believe that in some cases it is absolutely right, proper and necessary to make that bold decision. But what was written was heartbreaking. In essence, they were saying that they'd been trying to work on their mission plan and to identify you know, their current purpose for over 20 years. 
and hadn't really been successful. And therefore they thought it was time to stop. 20 years. There is much being said and many books being written about the faith opportunities that we now, as we hopefully emerge from the worst of the COVID pandemic, need to consider embracing. That as church, we need to look not for getting back to the old normal, but rather that we need to live out the gospel truth that our faith is not about resuscitation, but about resurrection. As Paul puts it, we shall all be changed. Our journey of necessity involves relationship with others, and perhaps at times with others with whom we would not naturally choose to be involved. Perhaps those whom we disagree with theologically, or those whose life cycle, we, lifestyle we, we simply don't comprehend, or whose behaviour is all but alien to us. We face yet another refugee crisis in regard to Afghanistan on top of the ongoing ones. We face the challenge of vaccinating the world's population before we can be too confident about the control of COVID. We see the sorts of tragedies due to flooding, earthquake, wind and fire. Examples, it is suggested, of the impact of climate change. In all these things, how we respond is not just an act of either compassion or denial, but rather it will be a statement of our faith as expressed in our love for God, for humanity and for his creation. Create in me a pure heart, O God. We love because he first loved us and gave himself for us. And that is the, the litmus test of our service in the world, that we might live in the light of eternal love and grace. Amen. We come to God as we offer our prayers of confession. Let us pray. Most people don't have too much difficulty in keeping the major laws of the land or of God. It is the little things that we let slip. Let us remember those times when we have said, it is not that, that important, who is going to notice? Forgive us and wash away our apathy. Let us remember those times when we have said, everybody else does it, why not me? Forgive us 
and wash away our dishonesty. Let us remember those times when we have said, I'll leave it until another day. I can't be bothered. Forgive us and wash away our idleness. Let us remember those times when we have said, just this once won't matter. Forgive us and wash away our lack of integrity. Let us remember those times when we have said nothing in order to keep the peace. Forgive us and wash away our lack of courage. Let us remember that those times when we have said we have always done it this way. Why change? Forgive us and wash away our lack of vision. Forgive us, Lord. Wash away all that separates us from you and renew us in our love and service of you. Amen. And so, as we are forgiven, we pray in song that God will purify our heart and make us precious in his sight.
So let us express our purified hearts, our love of God and for his people as we bring our prayers of concern before him. Let us pray. We want to keep our hands clean, holy God. We don't want to be defiled by the world. We pray for those with political power who don't want to be tainted by contact with the poor or the oppressed. We pray especially for the nation of Afghanistan and the risks to everyday life as the Western troops have withdrawn, acknowledging the challenging decision that was made and fearful of the consequences for that country. We pray for those who have enough and to spare, who don't want their enjoyment to be sullied by thought of hunger and homelessness. For those in the cosy circle of their family and friends, who do not want that circle to be pulled out of shape by reaching out to the lonely and the outcast. We pray especially again for Haiti, as it begins to recognise the, con the consequences of the recent earthquake, for all seeking new shelter and new security, and for those who seek to support them. Spirit of God, fill us and them with your love and equip us for your service. We pray for those who find it hard to remember the feelings and needs of others as they give way to their own internal destructive anger. For those who find it hard to know what good and helpful and loving things to say to those in pain anxiety or sorrow. For those who find it hard to express their commitment to you and your way in words and actions. Spirit of God, fill us and them with your love and equip us for your service. 
Holy God, as we have found inspiration in the Paralympic athletes, both in their achievements and in their warmth to their fellow competitors, may we translate that inspiration into our overcoming of our personal and collective challenges. And may we find that same respect for the other. Spirit of God, fill us and them with your love and equip us for your service. Amen. And we draw our worship towards its close as we sing the hymn number 498, God of all power and truth and grace. final prayer. Lord, go with us into our everyday lives to honour you in all that we do and say. May our being and doing reflect your love and your grace. And when we next meet, may we recognise with thanks 
works, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us all now and in all eternity. Amen.